The New Birth, a second look at how to share the gospel by Paul Bucknell. Biblical Foundations for Freedom, www.foundationsforfreedom.net. We'll be focusing both on 1 Peter 1, 23-25, as well as 1 John 4, 7. We will use a Bible study to describe the new life, and then I'll share how I personally have shared the gospel through many years. But I'd like to introduce this topic on evangelism, sharing the gospel, two ways. One is through a Bible study, thinking about what is happening when someone comes to know the Lord. And then secondly, to kind of focus a little bit more on how we perhaps could share the gospel. I'll largely share how I've been sharing the gospel for many years. And even how I have uh, journeyed in the way I share the gospel through many years. I've been doing that for many, many years. So, but I'd like us to, you know, when you have questions, to feel free to ask them. So why don't we begin with a word of prayer. As we seek the Lord to teach us about evangelism. Lord, we want to thank you that you have taken the most precious thing, the word of life, and given it to us and charged us with sharing that message of life with others who are dying, who are perishing. Lord, we need you to help us. We need you to teach us. We need you to break down our fears, to build up our confidence in you in the message, and perhaps many more things. Would you come and teach us, Lord, during this time? In Christ we pray. Amen. The first thing, can we open our Bibles to 1 Peter 1, 23 to 25? 1 Peter 1, 23 to 25. It's only a short passage. I love how this um, one passage enables us to think about so much. Could someone read that for us, please? Nice and loud. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. This a couple things we want to focus on here is the message talking about salvation from here. How, how, first of all, does he describe salvation in this passage? Like a plant, the leaf, what kind of part of the plant? Grows. Okay, that it grows. Seed. Okay, well, the seed and the plant. So how are the seed and the plant related to each other? Okay, the beginning. All right. And what is the seed itself, actually? The fruit of the plant. Okay, before it was the fruit of the plant. But in terms of the new plant that's growing, it is, it is the plant in one sense, isn't it? But in, in, in a very small, small, um, undeveloped way. How else does he describe? Very good. Okay, so he uses the, the plant to describe, the seed to describe salvation. How else does he describe salvation in this passage? 1 Peter 1, 23 to 24. Okay, good. Yeah, being born again. Now, this is a little different. We don't usually use the term born with plants, right? Mm -hmm. Instead, you use what? A seed beginning to grow. Germinate, yeah. 
But with people, we, we use the word born, bringing about new life. What is implicit about being born? Uh, we have to just think about it. Beginning. Okay, beginning. But even more basic, what was before that? Okay, there's the con conception. Well, what's even before conception? Another being. <laughs> if you believe in reincarnation, maybe. <laughs> well, no, I mean, before you're born, the seed has to come from somewhere, right? Okay, the seed does. How about that new life, though? <laughs> it's just not there, though, right? I mean, when we're talking about born, I mean, if we're talking about a human person, you know, there, there's a little Isaac that was born. But before that, Isaac was not born. He did not have life. There was no life. There is that contrast. And I, I think this is what he's trying to focus on, that actually there is a, a big difference between having life and not having life. It's not, in one sense, how we often think of it, a very slow transition. There is a transition, but when we're talking about new life, there's a significant something that happens during that birth. Now, perhaps we can go through that and think about it a little bit more. Well, even right now, can you tell me what are some signs of life? Growth. Okay, good. Growth. What else? Signs of life. Moms ought to know this here. No. Dads do too. Movement. Movement. Okay. Breathing. Breathing. We, we heard some crying. <laughs> okay. Yes. Mm -hmm. Communicating. Communicating. Definitely. The interacting there. So I, I had another one responding as it grows a little older. But just think about the opposite before that birth comes. You just don't have any of that. The life itself is, is, I remember in biology, it was defined by the things you see about it, observe about it, even though they can't, and they still don't really know what life is, except they only describe the, what happens because there is life. But without it, there, there is not these things. There is no breath. There is no hunger. There is no cry. There is no growth, no response. It's, it's what we use the word dead. And it reminds us of Ephesians 2, 1, right? And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. There's that sense of spiritual death that we're talking about. And that's why it's very important that we focus on this born again, because we're talking about a new life that has happened. Now, where does Jesus talk about this passage? Anybody remember? Uh, Nicodemus, right? Yes, Nicodemus, where? John 3. John 3, good. Yeah. He uses this phrase, and actually this term born again can also mean born from above. That preposition that goes with it can mean either thing. Uh, Billy Graham has uh, popular, popularized the born again aspect, that type of interpretation. Now let's go on and just look um, in my version, New American Standard. It says, you have been born again. Now what is that phrase, have been add to this sense of born again? Accomplishment. Okay, it's accomplished. And again, what's implicit in that concept? It's past. Mm -hmm. All those definitions that we talked about of what is life are right now. They're in, they're working, they're going. Okay, good. So it's not like you have to go working for it or 
hoping it comes again, or that you're born again, again, and again, <laughs> or, you know, there's a new sense of life, uh, or a greater kind of life, or something of that nature. Instead of all the things that promised about the new life, is all there, inherent. And that is so important for us to remember in our own lives, that, that new birth, what happens, comes from the Lord, and it starts a great process that changes us in wonderful ways. But it, it, there's a point somewhere, and it's very hard to draw the line, when does it start and when does it stop? And I, I think about uh, the birth process, again, the human birth, maybe because we had so many children. You know, we, we always take pictures of my wife leaving the door on the way to the midwife. You know, there's always a picture there. And... Uh, <laughs> I should collect those. We have pictures, albums of our cakes and things that she makes, but uh, birthday cakes. But uh, maybe we should have one of that. What, what's interesting, though, is there's a lot of that birth process that's kind of hidden away in the womb. And, and we talked about conception, you know, it's a hidden away. And we talk about the, when it actually happens or what, what's actually happening uh, in that whole birth process. We might ask those specific questions, which is not too important, otherwise I think the Lord would make it more clear and more obvious what actually happens, when does it actually happen. He doesn't care so much about that, but the fact is you're able at some point to look back and say it has happened. And I, I think that's something that's very important for each of us to know. Are you talking about spiritual birth or physical birth? Both actually. Once the baby's there, you look back, there's a birth. I, I, I think that a lot of person, people, when they come to know the Lord, you, you ask, well, are they Christians yet? Well, they're seeking. They, they seem to have signs of life. But you're not sure they're over that threshold. There, there's something that they're very interested. They have that. It's what they didn't have before. But then all of a sudden, you can see that there's a certain point they passed. And, and they want to associate with God's people. They have all that hunger for God's word. They, they're alive. They want to talk about the gospel. There's something there. And again, so those are the things that we look inside us. Now, the difference between just a religious experience is quite different. Having a religious experience where I'm baptized and be part of the church is very different than these live concepts that are talked about in the scriptures like this. Jesus himself used this phrase, born again. And so when we use it, it, it it's good to think about this whole death to life process. There's something that happened. Now I want to go on and read one more verse, focuses a little bit more. We'll come right back to this first Peter, but maybe I could read this in first John 4 7. I'll just read it and maybe you can tell me a little bit more about the birth process. How does it happen? Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. First John 4 7. What is that? verse say. I'll, I'll read it once more. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. What extra aspect does this verse talk about regarding how does a person come to find that new life? Having been born again of Okay. But even before that, how, how does he get that ability to love? From God. Yeah, he's born of God. So, I mean, the other verse didn't talk very explicitly about, well, who's the mother? Where does that new life come from? 
this just first does. And I just kind of wanted to mark it off very clearly. You're born of God. So this is what happens. And let me just kind of summarize what's happening when a person becomes a Christian. Actually, I'll, I'll summarize the part, what happens afterwards. Then I'll go back and describe a little bit more broader what's actually happening. When a person becomes a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes upon him and he gives him new life. So what happens is the Spirit of God, which is God, comes, unites with his person, and creates a new nature in that person. So there's actually a new life that comes into being. A new life, along with its appetites, its ability to consume the Word of God, ability to grow, ability to interrelate, ability to communicate such with God. All these things have happened when a person becomes a Christian. You're born of God. It's that new nature in you. And so God is living in you. And that's how we're, you, we're looked at as a temple. This is all the faith that should be instilled in a new Christian when he comes to know the Lord. These are the things that are happening. He doesn't know. He does not explain it. But this is what's happened. Now he has a relationship with God. And all these things have happened. Now, I've taken you at the point of birth on. What happens before birth? Okay, let me go back a little bit because when we're talking about sharing the gospel, we've got to go back because it's, it's more rare that we find someone already ready to come out, you know, uh, already to be born again. Uh, at least I find it rare. Now, in some countries you go, and, and actually people a lot more ready to believe. But in our Western culture, perhaps I can refer to this in a little bit, uh, it's quite different. Western influence culture. So, but when you go before that, and, and what's happening before, we have that conception, have that in the womb period, we also have that, which I kind of focus on, is that that burying process, where the baby is being born. If we would look at this, I, I would think that that's very important. One aspect is that the Spirit of God begins to work upon a person's life. We don't call it new birth at that point. It's just it's convicting. It's, it's beginning to reveal himself. It's kind of waking up. And whether you call it the new life and it's very early process, perhaps it is. I just kind of look at it almost kind of before that. It doesn't really matter because it's so close. Sometimes it's very close together. Sometimes it's stretched over a couple months. But there's that conviction and that interest in reading God's Word and learning about God. But it's going to go through a certain period of being born, okay? And, and that's going through the canal. There, there's a pressure on it. There, there's that actual pushing it forth. In, so it really distinctively becomes its own life. And that, that transition period, you can see where he begins to understand who God is and understand his sin or her sin and be able to what we call that, that phrase, repent. Be aware of who they are in light of God. Be able to look at their lives like never before and say, wow, I didn't know I was a sinner. And at that point, they're open to hear the gospel. Maybe they've heard it before. But hear it in such a way that they actually, I need a Savior. And they're looking for a solution for their sin. And they... Somehow the gospel comes to them, they believe, and they're saved. 
It's that faith in what Christ has done enables them to have that full forgiveness to come out of that uh, canal of, of transition and be born again. That is what's happening. Baptism is just a sign of that, okay? A fruition where that person looks back and sees what's happened. It's not what actually saves, but it, it's that where you die to yourself and you come alive in Christ. It's a picture of what happens, though. I would only say that that hidden part, that conception part, is extra biblical. This is this is kind of my kind of looking at life and evaluating. I would not make any major points on that. It's, it's just kind of looking and trying to see what happens. But from that life process on, somewhere the spirit begins to work and and touch that life so that he can respond to God. That let's go back to First Peter. 1, 23 to 25. And what do we find here? Where do you find the human part of this whole process? Where do we help as a, a midwife of sorts in this process? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah the preaching of the gospel. Yeah, by bringing the gospel to the... Yeah, it's, it's the word of God that the Holy Spirit works with in bringing that conception of life. That awareness of that person to be able to start being convicted. And, and this, is, this is where we come in. It, we don't bring the new life. So we don't have to feel guilty about, you know, oh, you know, I shared the gospel, they didn't come to the Lord. You know, some people feel so, we, if we share the gospel, that's, that's good, that's good. We pray, that's good. Again, it's born of God, and there's a special part that God is doing that we never could do, because we don't. A, a Christian is a Christian. And even when I would share the gospel with someone who's going to be persecuted or maybe lose his life, I still need to remember God is bringing them into this world as a new Christian. And it's still not me. I'm just there on the sidelines almost. And I'm watching, okay, God, this is a pretty serious situation. You know, should I really preach the gospel to this person? You know, you're really going to save them. They might lose their physical life if they, you save them. But yes, God's doing this all around the world right now. And it's, it's special to see that somehow he's not so concerned about that. He, he watches over that, and he's bringing people to know him from all the different nations. So we're kind of like the bees, and we go pollinate the one flower and get the gospel and take it with us to the next flower and share it with the person. And it's God's responsibility to make sure that you know the pollen from one finds the stamen the other one, or however it works. <laughs> yeah. And that's good, however it works, yes. Yeah, so we don't really have to be so troubled about that, frankly. Our trouble, and maybe I can go into my own transition into the second point here, is how do we actually share the gospel? How do we actually, as he used the word, this was the word which was preached to you. Something happened. A marvelous, miraculous creation of new life happened because someone preached the word. One, we should never undervalue the sharing of the gospel in written form, in vocal sharing, on a tape, you know, share it on, on an audio, send it back to Singapore, you know, wherever it is. Share your testimony. Share about what God's doing and put your faith into what God can do. He's transforming people. The reason we don't see a lot of it happening here is another thing. Now, let me go back, though, and, and share a little brief history I've been sharing the gospel since early on in my Christian life. Let me just say, go back to the 1970s. 
back then, uh, the culture was already starting to change in America. And, but still, a lot of people were asking the question, what is truth? Today, most people that have been influenced by a Western education, Western media, no longer asking what is truth. They think anything could be of value. They somehow, that is not a question that is so important for them. But back when I was sharing the gospel before, that was an important question for many people. Now, if I go to different countries, I find that a very important question still for many people that aren't influenced by Western education. Western education has just cut away from any absolute truth. And so people are no longer thinking that way. The old apologetic books that we have are great, but they're not answering the question that helps break through and prepares a person for that life. So I, what I want to share is how do you share the gospel in a postmodern world? God's been teaching me how to do it. Usually when I'm thinking about this, I am thinking about it in the context of what we call cold turkey evangelism. I've done so much of it. Just go up to somebody, just share the gospel with them. Sometimes to crowds, sometimes to a bad group of teenagers, uh, whatever it might be. Sometimes an 80-year-old Jewish lady, a 30-year-old Muslim guy on a plane. But I, I think there's something that's commonly happening, and if we're more aware of what's the reason I share about this new birth process is the more sensitive we are to what the Spirit's doing in an individual, the easier it is to adapt our message so that they can hear and learn what they need to hear at that point. So let me go on and just share a little bit here. And let me just go perhaps through the steps. And maybe this, uh, and if in the future any of you want to go with me in groups of two or one or whatever with me, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take you up on so one of the things I always like to take a piece of paper, a bookmark, or a track, or something just to give to somebody. And when I do that, you know, I'm giving them something. They always ask me a question. What is that? You know, okay. fine. You know, and I'm just giving. I don't really care too much. Probably 90% of the time they will never read it. It's just people are not too keen on reading things like that. Maybe today if there's a web address, maybe they'll go to it. But I, I'm not too convinced on that. I have heard people come and know the Lord through tracks. So I, we still should have good material that we give them. But I just do that in terms of introducing myself. And I just say, oh, you know, I'd just like to give you that. And ask them, usually, have you ever been to a church before? Now, most of you are not from America. And in Singapore, it's a lot easier talking about Christian things. Well, in Asia, it's a lot easier talking about Christian things. South America, a lot easier talking about Christian. But in America, where the Western arrogance has come about, and I come from Boston area, which is arrogance above arrogance, <laughs> you just don't do that. There, there's a subculture of elitism. If you're smart, you don't talk about religion. I do talk about it. And I straightforward talk about it. And I usually ask, oh, you've been a... I look at them and I, I try to evaluate a little bit. Have you ever been to a church before? Have you ever been to our church? Maybe thinking they have known about our church. Maybe they came. Or have you ever read a Bible? You know, questions like this. Something that I see that maybe helps them to kind of relate where I'm coming from. And kind of, I will connect myself to this tract. If it's a tract and I say, oh, this just explains. How important it is to find the meaning of life. Or it talks about 
next week we're having a barbecue. You know, come and join us. Uh, you, can, you can talk about anything. I, I think we should have our own. You know, we can just pass out. And I, I, I always find that that's always helpful. The, the reason is, and I should touch on this, just because we have something like this, there is a special fear that Satan instills in us when we are thinking about going and sharing the gospel. At least for me, it happens 100% of the time. I don't know about you. Does it? Not too bad. Some people are talkative. They're just so people-oriented. They're not thinking. But for me, it's, it's like, ah, Satan is bringing all this temptation. Don't share the gospel. You'll be a fool or things like this. It just comes to mind. I have battled with this thousands of times. Every time. I, but the, the thing is, afterwards, I talk to people. Most of the time, it's gone well. And I always tell myself afterwards, yeah, don't listen to Satan. You know, because it goes well. You, you shouldn't think that you shouldn't share. You know, just be aware of it. Because he's the one that wants to steal that motivation, that stirring of the spirit to share the gospel. You have to be aware of it because Satan is so aware of it. He's so deliberate. And I call it simple temptation. Uh, to hold back the gospel of light from being shared. Well, uh, this is just kind of breakthrough stuff. You know, you're just trying to introduce. And then afterwards, you get to know the person. You're asking them, where are they from? You know, what have they been doing? And trying to understand a little bit more about them. Now, the reason I shared a little bit earlier about the apologetics is that I think it's best try to steer away from arguments they will come up with a number of questions. Most people will. Probably 80% of the people will come up with questions. 10, 20%, not particularly interested. Maybe even more, not interested. But most people say they have some questions. I would say about those who have questions, most of them really don't care about answers. They don't. I, I think a lot of them are just in that regurgitate stage. They've heard these questions. And they're just saying them. They never really thought through them. They're not really their questions. They're not really that important to them. But, you know, for us sometimes, if we just, ah, yeah, I know that answer. And you're going to put all our efforts on that. Don't, don't, don't. Don't be distracted. That's not really where they're at. About, you know, if the Bible or the Gnostics and, you know, tons of questions can come up. Adam and Eve, how many children they have, where the, you know, children get their children, and things of this nature. Those aren't necessarily that important at all. So what I'm trying to do is actually through some of those questions, and I try to answer some of them, I'm trying to understand where they're at a little bit more and trying to see what they're really interested in. But I begin to want to look for an exit from those type of questions and, and enter what I call the, the real conversation. Now, there are some people who are very interested in apologetics, who haven't been influenced very much from the West, want those questions answered. They're very important. That's fine. There is a point for that. And I know that person coming from China, they have a year's worth of questions to ask you. And, and they, really, they really are genuinely interested in knowing those answers. They've been thinking about them. You know, they're valuable to them. But that's different than, I just heard these 10 questions from my professor in the class and things. It's basically, if you get caught up into them, you'll never get back to where you really need to be. This is my own perspective and experience. And maybe you have others. Let me continue on and maybe afterwards we have questions and, and we can discuss a little bit more. 
What do I like to share with somebody? Is trying to share about the power of the gospel of Christ. We just sang a song. It says, you are altogether lovely, altogether worthy, altogether wonderful to me. This is what I'm trying to share with them. The excellencies of Christ. I'm trying to share with them what he did in my life. Most of the people in the Western world have a shell about them. They have a big criticism of Christianity. And there's two groups. And again, discern them. There's one group that has particular criticism because they've seen hypocrisy in the past. It might be in their parents. It might be in the church they grew up. It might be in the pastor that found another woman and ran off. It might be, you know, something like this. But it's a personal offense to them that Christianity stinks. And from that one situation, it probably does. Their parents have been arguing all their life. They go to church, they stop arguing, they go back in the car and they argue. There's no love there. Is that love? Forget it, you see. And so they've just turned off. And frankly, I agree, yeah. If that's how, what you think it is, I would too. And, and so don't be defensive. Christianity is all that great. I think in that sense, in approaching this kind of person, we need to humble ourselves and say, you know, you're right. I have seen some of that and been hurt by some of it. And in fact, I would venture to go to the point, if that person's a somewhat sincere, somewhat open, I would even say, I apologize that we have so misrepresented Christ to you. We ourselves, and sometimes I myself might have failed, but I want you to know that who Jesus is never fail you that way. Seek forgiveness. So that will no longer be a stumbling block to that. But until that's passed over, I don't think you'll go any further. And we might have a lot of arguments, but that's not really where they're caught, you see. Where they're ensnared is in that personal offense where they saw hypocrisy and others stumbled by it. And Jesus used that word. People would stumble over them. Again, we have to be aware of those who would be stumbled, those who might have personal bitterness in their life. Now, a lot of these other ones have just kind of picked up a spirit of hostility. Oh, you evangelicals, you're all like that because you are so insensitive, so intolerant, so whatever. Now, I would still say this is probably half of the group that we're talking about. How do you talk to people like this? Or once you talk and ask for forgiveness and they say, wow, you know, you're really sincere and they want to hear a little bit more, what do you say? Now, let me share again what I'd like to share. I do share my testimony, but I share it in a particular way that I found almost as always successful. People will let me talk, and it breaks down all the hostility. I just share how God helped me. You know, I think about my past and how I was a horrible wretch in many areas of my life. I had failed people. I had polluted the world. You know, I polluted myself, and through different areas, I really hurt people that I should have loved and cared for. First of all, I was a person that God never should save. I don't talk about that right off. Uh, later on, that might come in. Okay, But I share about some of my own personal failures as well as the consequence of that failure. And I try to be very specific. Now, why will people listen to this? I'm sincere and I'm talking about my mistakes real life. I'm not pretending you know, Christianity is the best. I'm talking about the real heart of Christianity, grace. 
And grace always brings us back to forgiveness. So I, I, I might say how I lied to my mom. I stole money from my mom. How could my mom was so poor? I would still take money from her. I would spend it on my own self. Why would I be such a horrible person? Even from a youngster on. You see, what am I touching here? I'm touching the heart of a person that might steal something. And they, and they might be thinking, yeah, I stole something too in the past. Why did I steal something? What is it that made me steal? You see what I'm saying? I'm trying to relate my life to them in such a way that they realize I'm also a sinner. I also shouldn't have stolen. I, I go from one bad area to another bad area with specific examples of how I failed. And when I see they're paying special attention, I usually can guess they have an, a need in that area also. And this is where I go not only sharing my faults, but how God changed me. And I do it more extensively. The reason I don't steal anymore, for example, or the reason I don't lie anymore. A lot of people are lonely out there. And they just lie to have friends. And, and I, I used to lie to lots of people. I wanted to look good and things. But I, I tell you, I tell them all about this. This is not real friendship. They like a person that you really aren't. If they really knew you, they wouldn't be your friend. I mean, that's the way I was. Yeah, but I'm first sharing about myself. And then they begin to open up and can hear something a little more bold like that. I'm passing on the truth of the word, but I'm passing it on in such a way that they're being aware of their own sin, aware of God's better standard and God's better way that they've defaulted on. And they're bankrupt. And I said, what am I going to do? You know, God's going to judge me. I mean, I should have cared for my parents. I should have been honest with that friend. I should have helped that person when I could have, but I was too selfish with my time and watched TV. I could have done these things. Now, if it's a couple or something a little older, I don't go back so far, okay? Um, I, I can go to the more current, you know? And, uh, and, I, and I share more about our own marriage or our, my own parenting or things of that nature. When I was a student, I, I try to apply when, whoever I'm talking to. The examples of our sins in our life, I believe, are so many if we really thought about them. And often we don't really think about them specifically or how God's gospel has helped us specifically. But if you do, you'll begin to realize God has saved you in a great way from those things that otherwise would have sucked you right into hell forever and ever. One sin would have been enough. But my lust, my desires my, for things, for people, you know, to create, desire that, for people to look at me in this way, all these things, I try through my own testimony share those things. And people are often very willing, not only hear about my sin, be willing to share a little bit about their own lives, where I share the gospel. And by the gospel, I mean, I should never have had help here. But he came down and helped someone like me. You see, they saw how bad I was. They heard how, how bad I was. They knew God shouldn't help this kind of person. So I'm kind of breaking through that whole sense of, well, I need to work my way to salvation. I bypassed all that. I bypassed all those arguments of this religion's better than that religion. I bypassed all that because none of the other religions and none of that nominal Christianity talk about that. They don't care about that. It's all about a pride about religion. 
But no one can deal with the sin of people's hearts, only Jesus. And so kind of I break through all of that, and I don't want to spend time on that. I just share about what God's done and how he forgave me through Jesus. When he died on the cross, he took my penalty away. He made me his child. He gave me a new life where before I, I, I was in front of friendships. I was in front of caring for my parents. I was in front of all these things. But now he's changed me. I really care for those people. And I might get off on a side tangent. Does that make you perfect? And things like that. Of course it doesn't. But there's a sense that now I really desire, there's that real desire to love people and care for people. Desire to talk to God every morning. And this type of conversation with somebody goes on and it always gives me a chance to, to bring the gospel to them. I found it very successful, very helpful, always very humbling, you know, because I'm reminded again of my own sin. But that's where I need to be. I suppose it's just like when I start being ungrateful for my food, I just stop eating. I remember at the cafeteria when I was in college, hey, I'm starting criticizing of this cafeteria food. Just stop eating for a day, you know, and wake me up. It's just like if you get stuffy, you know, religiously, you know, church doesn't mean anything, you go share the gospel. It just kind of breaks you down and brings reality back to you. Because that's what we should be doing. Let me pause here. As I say, I, I could elaborate on some of those things a whole lot more. When you talk about sharing your testimony, you bring it, you think of more current situations. But are you talking about... Sometimes. Um, so are you talking about situations that are after you've saved? Or you Most of them are after well, or, or not. I well, some of them are before I'm saved, but some of them are, most of them are after I'm saved, actually. I, I was a terrible person after I was saved, too. But, I mean, you know, <laughs> but the thing, yes, both. I share both. Because both are what happens in my, from my own self, my old self. Now, I don't have to live by my old self once I'm a Christian. But sometimes I fall to temptation. And that is the reality of what I'm really like without Christ. And so the sins after I become a Christian are just as real and helpful in exposing sin as well as the ones before. And ever make me grateful I have a Savior who ever intercedes on my behalf. <laughs> I have a question. I had a similar question. One of my friends, she wasn't. A lot of the things that she had struggled with, I guess on a worldly standard, could be seen as more sinful than any of the stuff that I had done. And it was hard for me to relate to her. And, and one of the things that she said is that she felt like she couldn't be that good. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, the things that I was trying to share with her, just whatever, you know, mm -hmm. in her life, like, she's, struck, she's done much right. you know, worse stuff mm -hmm. than that. What, what do you... Yeah, that's a good question. It's not too hard, to actually, to answer that one. At least I find... That's true. For me to lie to my parents it doesn't really sound too bad, does it? In fact, some people say that's just normal. But until you bring it under the light of the microscope of God, when he an analyzes it, there's two aspects. That is one. 
But more what I wanted to share is get down to what's underneath why you did that sin. That's what we need to focus on, the motives. Why I was so selfish. That selfishness in me is just like that selfishness in you. What drove you there actually would have drove me there if I was in different circumstances and my parents weren't washing me 24 hours and didn't make me come home at 10. I would have been worse off. You see, it's only circumstances in the outward that I was brought up in a maybe more moral family that would constrain me. But if I wasn't, I would not have those constraints and I would just be as wild. So it's not so much that. That's cultural holding in or letting go. But it's why I am that way. It's the sense that I have failed God. But you do come to another question. and I don't know if I fully answered that one. But So don't focus on the outside activities as much as what's why someone does that. But you did bring up another question. I don't know if that is your question. That person felt so bad that they could never be a Christian. That's a separate question from the other one, I think. But that's one that does come up also. So how would you answer that one? That there is no sin too deep that God could not forgive. Then you find some terrible guy who went to prison for like 30 murders and say, and he became a Christian at the end of his life, and you can too. That might not satisfy that person. But it's true what you said. That one who killed 30 persons can still find forgiveness. The, the, the key... Well, I mean, I would also think, think about how the, the consequences... Sin, like what you're saying, even one sin is condemning anyone to hell. Not, so it's, it's not like anyone who's better than you more off the hook. Good. All of you. Yeah. And, and that's part of it. We're beginning to share. That person thinks they're unworthy. But what you do, Sharon, is you start sharing how unworthy you are. When you can grieve in their sight about how terrible you're, and they can see the horribleness of their selfishness, your disrespect, your stealing, your lying, your lust, uh, whatever it is, they get to say, "Wow, that is that is terrible." God shouldn't save you, <laughs> but then you can say, "But He did." And how do we know? Because look at how the terrible death that Jesus had to die, innocent one died for the wicked. Bring them to Romans 5, 8 or something. The way you brought it up is kind of like cold turkey evangelism, right? But what about uh, co-worker evangelism mm -hmm. or something more like that? I mean, how would you approach it differently or similar? In that situation, when you started sharing and they still feel contented, if you share like I've talked about and they understand how terrible your sin, you think your sin is and how much you need a Savior, and you get to share about Jesus, I would just start praying that God would begin to shape their life so they become exposed to their need. They need to be broken down. Okay, so ask God to start changing their life so that they will want to know about Jesus. God has to change them. Take away their job, take away their health, take away something like this. Something has to change there because they're too content, they're too prideful, they can't break through. Now, the, the issue is, though, a colleague, perhaps, or someone I do know that we meet on a regular basis, but perhaps I haven't shared the gospel. Actually, it's not really any different. It, it's the sense that 
I just need a little personal time. And you can start off, I mean, again, start off the conversation. Do you have any problem with that? Or that's sometimes, for me, one of the most difficult things. How do you start talking about it? And maybe because I'm from Boston, you, you don't have that problem. But I always, it's always a problem for me. You know, you don't that's talk about religious things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, sometimes I'm, I'm just, hey, could I share something from the Bible? I mean, things like this. Or do you mind I share a personal experience with you? Wow, yeah, you know, you should have heard what I heard in church last Sunday. You kind of get their interest up maybe. It's different kinds of things you can do. But if I'm able, I, I, I go through those questions. Usually this, they're not real questions. They're just questions I've heard. You get down and you still approach the gospel in the same way. I, I find there's so much hostility in our Western culture that unless you share that way, they're going to be thinking you're arrogant, you know everything, and I'm no good. It's true they're no good, but I'm no good either. <laughs> they're thinking about it in no way, another way. They're thinking that you are so haughty. But how can you explain you're not haughty? You only can explain your brokenness. I, I don't find another way out of it. But that becomes a magic key in many situations where you know, someone is very hostile, but when they start hearing you talk that way, you can see their face. So I'm not sure whether your question more focuses on how do you start talking about spiritual things or is this method still applicable in, in that type of situation? I say yes. Um, because you're breaking through a number of areas all at once without spending all that time on arguments and things, which usually don't work anyway. There's some life downstairs. You hear it? <laughs> <laughs> don't worry. It's better than no sound. Yeah, it's better than no sound. <laughs> hey, could I just close in a prayer? Lord, we want to thank you for the word that was preached to us. We pray that you might help us, Lord, to be those who testify of your greatness. Take the word of the Lord. Show us the power of the word. And give us opportunity to tell others of your great love and power. And forgiving power. In Christ we pray. Amen. This concludes our message on the new birth, a second look at how to share the gospel by Paul Bucknell, Biblical Foundations for Freedom. Look for more resources on www.foundationsforfreedom.net.